like I feel like blow it's, up on that level. I feel like it's unfortunate that GeoGuessr as a game isn't old enough to have like old HTTP web forums because I feel like those archives. It, would... it might actually because it used to. I mean, real ones remember before it got all reformatted to be kind of fancy. Real ones remember GeoWizard, who's still out there making videos, but that was a guy who would like make videos of him guessing things and it wouldn't be as insane. And he would actually like try to apply some sort of geographical knowledge and be like, oh, this like looks like it's this language. It looks like, you know, it's sort of like has this kind of vibe or whatever, or, or like try to think about cultures. He wouldn't be like, oh, well, this this pole is like angled at 34 degrees and it happens in Cambodia, mm. which is well, it's just gamer I've, culture. It's not even, doesn't even have to do with geography. Right. I feel like the, the geoguesser min maxing is taking place on like discord servers now, instead of like the old school, yeah. like, you know, forum reply with your, your signature, your geoguesser signature, you know, back in the day we used to do uh, let's plays, but just with screenshots of Google Maps, we didn't even have the bandwidth to upload videos. You know, you would just print out, it would be like how you'd print out uh, directions from MapQuest and take them into the car with you. Well, it's episode 225, View from 202. Uh, with just three of us, Sam wasn't here, he just said cryptically that he had a mission to go on and started playing uh, on repeat that one song relax over and over again don't know what that's about uh, but it's Brit cork and peaches here and then of course luna who you may hear digging into the my seat as well maybe she's hidden a snack for me and i just haven't been able to find it and uh of course i would like to uh remark or, or you know uh apologize for yet another poor uh editorial decision on view from 202 Last week, you know, of course, we remarked that, you know, Boris Yeltsin, extremely dead. and The queen, and, though? Well, <laughs> Still Mikhail alive. Gorbachev then proceeded to die literally in between the part where we edited last week's episode and released it, uh, which was just, you know, excellent timing. Uh, thank you, uh, Premier or President Gorbachev, whatever. Uh, you may have caused the... Uh, you know, highest spike in, in or, or decline in quality of life in the uh, 20th century, second half of the 20th century, but you made a great bit for View From 202, so it comes out <laughs> in the wash. Um, and I'm actually kicking myself because I think if we recorded yesterday, there's a solid chance that I just sort of incidentally made a joke about the Queen, and then the timing would have been fucking amazing this mm -hmm. week. So I really fumbled the bag on this one. Well, we have to say someone else is alive, so by the time that this gets released tomorrow, that person is inevitably... Yeah, we, that's, that's there, there, there is a solid chance we would have lingered over to a Rangers discussion because <laughs> they were having such a shit week yeah. before, even before today's yeah. events. So. Damn, it w probably would have happened, and then, you know, the stars would have aligned, and, uh... There's something Germanic with Tuchel getting fired, I guess. I was also really disappointed. I was, I was really lined up to make a gag about, you know, um, just another case of jobs for the boys with the football association, where, like, you know, the, the president of the FA getting promoted to lead the country now. This is mm. ridiculous. But it turns out only William has been president of the FA. Like, it's other royals have been, but Charles was never president of the football association. Oh, wow. So Canceled. I can't... Uh, yeah, it's like, this guy has no fucking qualifications at all. Yeah, Are you kidding damn. me? He's never set up a single berry-fried bung. Like, how are yeah. we supposed to... Not my king. Uh, yeah, it's like... 
you know, it used to be a proper country. If you can't even set up cones, how is he going to set up a country? Right. Now, Prince William, that's someone who's set up a fuck, few fucking cones at this time, <laughs> I can tell. Um, so, yeah, sorry for yet another bit of uh, incorrect uh, international news on View From 202. But we, we forgot to change the avatar on the Twitter account to black. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get on that before this episode gets released. For Gorbachev, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but this week... Uh, <laughs> we put, put out just a like completely... Just, you know... We are sad to we hear are, about we, the we, passing. Yeah, we... we <laughs> Our thoughts are with her family. <laughs> yeah, South, I don't know if Celtic tweeted ever or, or uh, changed their logo or whatever, but they did put something on their website. <laughs> it was notable that it, that's all it said was like her family. L- like, Liverpool too. Sorry about your family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing about the country or anything like that. TLDR, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway... Uh, it was a mixed week for the New York Red Bulls. Two matches went up to Montreal and, hey, punched them in the teeth up there. One, one nil win. And then came home and dropped a 2-0 loss to the Philadelphia Union um, in what I think is our first first loss in, what, five or six games? Um, um, first since that Orlando home game. I mean, we only lose at home, so... Right. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Kind of a weird week. Last week, we, we, I think, all agreed that four points would have been pretty ideal. I think Sam may have joked that, you know, typically we would actually probably win in Montreal and then maybe not against, and maybe draw against Philly. Uh, that ba- almost happened. Um, Could have happened. Three points is not a bad haul, but, you know, I think it's kind of one of those things where it's like, given the order that things happen, I can't, it just feels uh, a little bit more bitter in the map than than it would have maybe if it were the opposite order it's kind of settling in at this point because i mean obviously we're going to make playoffs at this point yeah and it seems pretty pretty dead set that we're going to be around that third or fourth spot that we've been at since like may and at the same time like you're saying Britt, with just yes three points is probably a fair haul for this week of games but the manner in which it happened Mm-hmm. The sequencing in which it happened, just the, you know, everything just beneath surface. Uh, you know, I think this has become a little bit of consensus around the fan base is that this just feels like the most kind of underwhelming, kind of bad vibes, successful season yeah. you could ever put together. I yeah. Mean, I guess a big part of it is the home form, but it's also just kind of, you know, the general you know, uh, milieu, you know. Yeah, I, I I tried to tell myself that I wouldn't jump to, you know, global diagnoses of the situation. So maybe maybe I'll, we will jump or get into the details of these matches too, but I think just on that note, yeah, I, I, do, I do think you can't underrate the impact of as well of the manager in so many different ways consistently saying... And now this squad isn't it. Like, this mm-hmm. squad is not really what motivates me, like, to get up in the morning or, like, and, like, you know, I'll, I'll put up with this. Yeah. I think that has seeped into the fan base and the general attitude around the club because I feel like it's, like, yeah, there's just kind of a feeling of, like, 
results can be really decent. Yeah, but we were but finally... there's still no future. Like, it's still sense of, like, they're not really being, like, like the things that happened this season don't really necessarily matter. Yeah, know? but we're finally able to cut, like, this Deadwood that has long been plaguing him in Tyler Pasher, so... Yeah, the Tyler Pasher era is one of my favorite eras, actually, of the New York Red Bulls. Um, one of the more, you know, it's close second to the Isiar Drame era, although that did. I, I refer to that to the long Drame period, you know, because <laughs> it was a little bit longer than yeah, that. Yeah, until we replaced him we with Rosita. Yeah. Unfortunately, never able to hear our stadium announcer pronounce his name and figure out if he is Pasher? a Pache or a Pasher. I mean, we know that he's well, a yeah. We, yeah. Well, do we? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there was an, int- they're, they're having a, you know, a guest host on the Michael and Us podcast <laughs> this week, and Tyler Pasher was actually one of the guest hosts. Mm. So you talk it in depth about the uh, Kitchener Film Festival, and he said his own name as part of that is Pasher. So I know for a fact, yeah, oh, it's very he moving. Was, he was a guest analyst on a, you know, documentary from 1978 mm-hmm. about a goose poaching operation in manitoba yeah and and i was really interested in the 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 kind of documentary short that he put out later about a uh, pencil factory in hamilton ontario mm. where uh the the wood shavings were re- reassembled into a uh, piece of sculpture that uh he then recorded himself crying in front of in black and white for 30 minutes mm. um just really class i mean look I don't know why I'm saying this because, as students of Canadian film, we already know this mm-hmm. already. These are these are household names. You know, it wasn't uh, streamed on Twitch, so I kind of missed it. I yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was likely. So maybe this is why it's, it's helpful to right. really go for that. Yeah, but, but, Pasher just kind of didn't fit in when he just constantly was trying to force everyone to come over and watch Cronenberg movies. Yeah, it's so, <laughs> um, not a cultural fit. Yeah, it just it, you know. Coming, coming from a foreign country like that, you know, moving into a new culture can be difficult. So. I don't want to, I don't want to put my sources on blast, but I did hear that it got uncomfortable around the training session where Tyler Pasher would, in like just without end, would constantly be looking around and saying, "Agire, the wrath of God," like it was a punchline to a joke, but no one responded to it, and he kept on just saying it louder and louder <laughs> over again, "Agire, the wrath of God." Mm. And it just got out of hand to the point where he had to be asked to leave. Um, so, look, lest anyone say otherwise about this podcast, we can be critical of the Red Bulls front office. It was a miss. It wasn't the right move. It was not a sustainable locker room practice. I, I firmly believe, though, that Kevin Thalwell would have sorted this out in the no assholes policy. <laughs> it's been like, absolutely no Werner Herzog obsessives in this squad. <laughs> that is straight out. Except the manager who, you know, we've not seen it in the same room <laughs> at the same time. That that gets a pass because, you know, it's orders from up top. Um, but yeah, the, the Pasher era is over. That It's an end of an error, you know. Um, and now we can go on to winning games. I, winning what, games how, that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, I have, I'm having my moments, you know, where... Or, after a 1-0 win in Montreal, where the team plays pretty well, or, you know, well enough, and is, like, composed and mature enough to nick a quality goal, stay compact against a really good uh, team in Montreal that's played really well and played as a unit, and it's, like, moments after that where I'm like, 
think again to like after the Orlando game or that just horrible month of results and the insinuation or more than insinuation just the comments saying that you know this squad isn't ready to compete or like we couldn't you couldn't really expect this team to do better than a 5-1 loss to Orlando uh, in a semifinal, I mean, it was I, kind of naive to think that. I'm like, I don't know. I think I, the team I just watched could have done better than that. Yeah, yeah. I for I was looking back at the quotes that I logged for his press conference at the beginning of the year, the, the very opening infamous press conference where he said um, the transfer window was a disappointment where he went on even further to say, like, you know... Um, it's silly to talk about trophies now and stuff like that. It's just like, man, like, just, yeah, I don't know. Put, putting putting my fan hat on more than I maybe have in a while on here, it's just kind of like, this is, that is, that is not how you frame any team that you're managing, no matter what your, in, you know, inside feelings are about the situation, your, you know, completely blunt personal assessment that you give behind closed doors. Like, Everybody understands that there's a difference between what managers say to the public and what they say, you know, when they're actually down to business. Right. To their own executives, yeah. To the executives or to the team itself or whatever. I mean, it's just so bizarre that any manager would think that's an appropriate way to frame things to the public and to your fans. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's certain, you know, you know motives that come to mind as far as why a manager would do that but to the degree it's been done it's just kind of through throughout the course of the year it's just been very you know yeah, you would think that i mean like we're kind of saying here even you know it, it blunts it blunts the you know not not euphoria but i mean like brit saying i mean your your inclination to feel good about a one nil away win just you know gets completely diluted by this stuff happening and you know being in the atmosphere so much over the course of the year yeah you know um lee i i seeing Strieber's professional career you would expect him to understand the difference between an internal and external like email you know given Mm -hmm. i feel like every entry-level email job would understand that but you know and the Austrian insurance agencies for closers only. People just are straight shooters to everyone at all times. This is your, this is your actuation. If you can't, um, if you can't handle the fucking truth, you don't sell insurance in Austria. That's a fact. Um, earlier, Cork, you shared the uh, interview of von Bronkhorst, Rangers manager, in their, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their very bad, no good week. Uh, saying after they got battered around by uh, Ajax, Ajax, yeah, in, in Champions League for now, saying that basically it's it's you know they don't have enough money to compete and you can't expect anything and it's you know just like boohoo. Um, well, yeah, it's, we're supposed to lose four 0 right? Which is like in this circumstance, it's like at least if a Von Bronckhorst is going against actually much wealthier teams with no salary cap. I except, like... it, except it is Ajax from the league that the whole story for the last two decades is that they're the league that's really good but doesn't have the money to compete right. with the rest of Europe. Yeah, but I feel like the equivalent of this, like Struber is more like if Von Bronckhorst was saying it's unfair to expect us to compete with Celtic because, mm. you know, like, look at the players I have. It's like, 
Have you looked at the rest of the Scottish Premiership? Yeah. Have you looked at the rest of uh, MLS, man? Like, have you looked at them when you've been playing them? Weirdly enough, it seems like you haven't. You also haven't. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I definitely think this is another week that illustrates, I think, our over all feeling or theory about this, this era of the Red Bulls as squad. I do think that this has had a cumulative effect on how fans and players even might feel about this. But let's dig into the games themselves, because I think, um, you know, there, there's some material to chew on here. I think, uh... Patrick Klumal, it seems like, is hurt. And he didn't play. He didn't start either of these games. He didn't play any any minutes no, in either of the games. Right? And it sounds like he's probably going to be out of the next one. Or same questionable. With, same with Amaya. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, uh, yeah, it, apparently he's been hurt. This, this Maybe just tying into that last overall point again, I feel like it also is frustrating that apparently it doesn't doesn't really we you know we never hear about these injuries until weeks after the fact. This is something I was complaining about last year too, which I think also sort of meshes with the overall feeling or, or communication that like everything doesn't really matter, just ambivalence where it's like yeah yeah like why do you care if key players are hurt? All of them kind of. Klamala missed both games last week after he wasn't mentioned in the injury report that went out even like you know a couple hours before the game. Yeah. Struber didn't bring him up in the midweek press conference, but supposedly it was an injury that came up during the Miami game the week before. So, yeah, not, you know. Yeah, what is the point of those injury reports? Yeah, it's, 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 it doesn't, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't paint a picture. There's of not like no, any standard to them. There's the no like. Page and that it being a very, it doesn't paint a picture of it being a mm-hmm. super obvious injury like it ended up being phrased as after the fact. Right. Same with Amaya. He probably thinks he's doing a Belichick or something, you know, where he's like, oh, I'm going to adjust. Well, I don't know. He's probably not even thinking he's adjusting to the American sports thing because it seems to fit his character. He's like, maybe he thinks he's going to be throwing off the opposing manager by uh, not knowing what... uh, what what who's going to be healthy and who's not and he doesn't want to tip his hand by giving the injury report it's a classic you know thing where it's like uh the best way to confuse your enemy and not give away what your plan is is to not even know what your plan is in the first place either so that's been going on perfectly we we really should just introduce this man to american football somehow yeah um but Daniel Alderman continued to play. He played both the matches this week. Um, and in midweek against Montreal, he played with CCJ. And Omir Fernandez gets to start alongside Lucanius and Lewis Morgan with Elias Manuel leading up front. Manuel, of course, gets taken out at, survey says, 55th minute. Mm-hmm. Automatic sub. Gerhard actually just schedules it. It's like scheduled tweets. I would have gone over. I would have said 60 even, but you know. Nah, it's 55th no, minute. I know, ink I know. It, ink it, like, done. Yeah. It's hard-coded. He set this setting back in April, and he doesn't know how to change it. So, um... He even looked good, too. Yeah, Elias? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it, but, you know, maybe I guess it's a fit... I mean, is it a fitness thing? I don't know. Um, but... Uh, we played with four in the back at this game. Harper played at least for 70 minutes. Nealis played... Um, or Sean excuse me, Dylan Nealis rather played on the left actually to start and we had Andres Reyes and Sean Nealis as the center backs. 
was Aaron Long just rested for rotation this week? Struber had, uh, had a little bit of a thing today at the press conference where he said, um, I guess he was asked about Long, to be fair, but I mean, he was saying that, uh, you know, they're still worried about his injury from last year, and they're still managing his minutes based off that and based off him having extra games this year through national team and the all-star game and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. Um, as, as we've discussed, I don't know if it's been on the show, but it just kind of flies in the face of not only general kind of elite pro soccer logic, but also Struber's own statements a couple times over the course of the year mm-hmm. where he said players should be able to go twice a week. Um, Apparently, a center back is a risk to play, you know, a full 90 minutes instead of 70 in some games. Yeah. Is a risk to play two games in some week or one week. I mean, it's just kind of... Every, everything seems to be kind of non-binding, but... Yeah, it, it, uh... I mean, <laughs> I guess every minute you're on the pitch, you have a chance of stepping wrong and overextending and tearing your Achilles... But you also have a chance of doing that when you're just running off the field and getting a Jones fracture like Andres Reyes, who did it in the offseason while just staying in shape. So I was going to say, this week is a, kind of one of those finally makes me question the, the load management because we finally have injuries, but you know that's not a good thing. Um, I, I really, I mean, I'm trying not to be so judgmental, but I mean, it really is just like, I've never, I mean, I get... It's a big year for Long. He wants to be in the World Cup and all that, and that that's fine. But, like, um, I've never heard of a player get an injury, you know, even a bad injury like Long had, come back and play, like, six months of competitive games and look fine and still be treated like they're in bubble wrap. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, also, not, it's not even like it's been a chronic career-long thing. I mean, he just, you know... He had a bad injury last year, but it looks like he came back from it right. pretty quick and pretty well. So I don't know why we're still acting like he is some, you know, you know, three-legged dog. Like, yeah. And is this the last year of his contract as well? Yeah. He's going to be Great. a free agent. Right. Cool. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's, it's. It's weird because we don't seem to treat anyone like a, a human on the team. Like, everyone just kind of feels like an asset in a way. Um, and I don't know. We don't... Yeah. It, we, we've said on this podcast as much about how, how there's this kind of, like, weird... Um, something inorganic, I feel like, almost, about the team right now and the way that it's set up. Yeah. Well... Credit where credit's due, we did play well on Wednesday. We handled Montreal pretty well, I think. Um, Edelman has continued to impress. And, hey, lo and behold, Andres Reyes, really good center back. Sean Nealis has been getting consistent minutes because, you know, he's uniquely able to play 90 minutes a match. Um, (laughs) Most guys are not. Um, And, hey, uh, Dylan Nealis held his own at left back pretty well. Um, I would say Lucanius, I'm just jumping into my opinions here rather than describing the game. Lucanius, I think, still uh, has not had or was not able to like fully integrate in the team or kind of click in the way he was maybe in the first couple weeks. But I think it was nice to see him back on the pitch. 
Um, and then, of course, it's lovely to see Lewis Morgan with such a with such a filthy chip um, to put us away. It feels like it's been a while since we've been able to just execute a really clean goal and smash and grab and kind of get mm-hmm. get three points away from home, which which was real fun. I was I was not super impressed by Montreal um, to mm-hmm. you know kind of give that context. I think. Um, Profe, uh, Juan Mesa, had a really good point that he made on Twitter sort of in the lead-up to the game, talking with some people about Montreal where he said, or I mean, people were just, I mean, like, kind of the whole whole league, the whole country, whole continent is that, like, is kind of perplexed that Montreal is doing so well this year um, with, you know, without any real, you know, big-name talent or and this kind of rando coach. Um, and Profe kind of said... Had, had a good little kind of saying where he said they're a humble team. They they play within themselves and they don't try and do anything stupid and that's good enough to rack up wins against most of this league throughout a year when you just, you know, know what you're about and stick to that. But then, yeah, when you face a team that plays well on the day, you don't really have any answers. Right. And that's what I was kind of seeing from this Montreal team. Which, like... Yeah, it seems like they win the games that they're supposed to win. Right, right. Yeah, and lose the games that they're supposed to lose. Exactly, yeah. So, um... Whereas we don't do any of that? Yeah. I mean, I will say that I I watched a couple of their games from earlier in the year, especially when Mihailovic was getting a lot of his hype, and he looked, like, really good in those games, whereas in this game he was, like, I think he was playing more of kind of like a wing role and looked pretty pedestrian um, compared to uh, where what he seemed to be doing at the early part of the year. I mean, I think so, it's interesting that you mentioned that it's a team that like sticks to what it knows and like does what it's good at because mm-hmm. I think it reoccurs when we when, when we eventually play Philly and I think they kind of stick to what they know. Right, I mean, that's the same kind of team exactly, right. on a higher level, obviously. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously over the course of that game that like that changes for a team with quality like Philly compared to Montreal who just don't seem like they're a cut like us, which, you know, goes against again for that like argument that we don't have a bad team. Like Mm -hmm. our squad's obviously better than someone like Montreal, but Montreal are doing well because they're winning where they should be. Whereas, you know, we're doing like well, but you know, I think we collectively don't agree that it's not living up to where we would expect the the quality. I mean, our our bar is Philly, not Montreal. Yeah, obviously. exactly. Yeah, right at this point in this season, at least it is. It is. Uh, it's I'm definitely always, not City anymore. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> surprised to see that Samuel Piet guy hanging around with Montreal. Mm. He's he's fine as a player, but he's just like always. I've always kind of just assumed MLS is going to catch up with them for a while because right. it always just feels too good to be true that they're like, oh yeah, we just have like a local random domestic French Canadian guy who can hang in our squad. Who was the guy before that? Cropo. Or Bernier. No. Bernier, yeah. Bernier was like at his peak pretty decent actually. Cr- and like, but he like started like, what, like the, the lower league before too, right? With yeah, them? he might have. Yeah. yeah, he was with them in USL. I, just, I feel like the Anglo-Canadian version of it was Der- Terry Dunfield, who was like hopping around between Vancouver and, and uh, Toronto and maybe Montreal too. But ultimately, you know, Terry Dunfield just wasn't that good. He didn't, he right. didn't stick on his squad. Well, yeah, yeah he's, I mean, it's, that's, it's changed the last few years with this generation that they've obviously went to the World Cup too. But like, yeah, it used to be that... Uh, 
Canadians were artificially in the league when, outside of like De Rosario and like a couple other guys who were pretty decent. A lot of them were pretty trash. Um, but, um, but you'd like, well, there's, uh, like, Forgot what I was gonna say, so go along. And I don't remember him. Yeah, no yeah well, I was gonna say Piet. Like, you know, I'd rather have a player like Piet because Toronto's version of that's like Jonathan Osorio, right? I guess. Yeah, well, or maybe. Uh, he... Oh, what I was gonna say was just a quick sidebar about Cripo, who I just brought up a minute ago. Who, like, it made no sense to me. It feels like it's died off, thankfully for my sanity. But uh, there, there's this like discourse earlier in this season. I want to say where everybody was just like, "Oh yeah, it's consensus that Maxime Cripo is the best goalkeeper." In MLS, like according to the stats and the experts and everything, I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm like, if wait, if he's that good, why has he been passed around on like six different teams in the last few years? And it's like not even on one of the Canadian teams where it's like right. such a valuable asset to have one of the top Canadian players. Yeah. If he's that good. But anyway, it sounds like people have stopped fucking talking like that, you know, for whatever reason. So yeah. long may it continue. Who was where? Where is is that guy anyway right now? He's is on LAFC. Still, I think, right. yeah. yeah. It was also just kind of funny because I feel like that was one and of I feel those like guys. He's not, he lost the start. Yeah, I was gonna say he's yeah. not starting for yeah. them anymore. Well, I feel like he first made a name when he he usurped some starter in Montreal or something, and it, or maybe Evan Bush. Yeah, I or think something. Evan Bush is still on Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> or or he like he he he. Maybe it was because of an injury, but he usurped somebody, and then like it was like an established pro. And I feel like a couple, the Montreal or the the Canadian teams, all three of them, I feel like have had like a couple of like random, but like once very respected MLS goalkeepers come through who then end up losing their job. Or like there'd be periods where like Alex Bono was really respected for a while, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was like, oh, now he can't get a starting job. And it's just kind of funny to be it's like to David imagine Ustad? being at a club like that where like you kind of do have just positional battles or the guys fighting for the goalkeeper job because we have not had that in like 12 years, mm-hmm. you know, like, or, or I guess really more 10. Uh, Cause like we had Robles who stuck around forever and then we had our weird little Jensen moment. But the second we got Cornell, it was like, yeah. Oh yeah. Look at Carlos even, Cornell was the first cheap choice goalkeeper. Even the post Buna Kundul found like fallout where the goalkeeping position was like a mess during the Baca years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like a set competition thing. Like we came into the preseason with, you know, a starting two team. guys at the same level kind of going at it. It was just right. a bunch of kind of like name guys being brought in and fucking up one after the other. Right. Like, yeah. It, like you're saying, it wasn't like a true kind of like, Oh, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to get someone to compete with Frank Rost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. my, my Kevin Hartman jersey is going to arrive one day. But Kevin Hartman really looks like he would be in the back of a uh, soprano scene. Just like walking around. I was shopping at Fountains of Wayne. Mm. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, my, my uh, totally Philistine, uh, like basic, dumb analysis of our tactics the last couple matches is that I feel like we have been doing something very similar with our two sort of central holding midfielders our a central idea and shape is the same but it really just feels like Gerhard Struber was like oh 
if you guys want to actually play guys in on the run, you can do that now. Mm-hmm. And we just started doing that. We just started creating a, a couple bit. more goals. Yeah, I mean, Schubert had a comment uh, in the press conference before the Montreal game where he was saying uh, um, that part of their, you know, uh, kind of tack they're taking on trying to get Lucanius going again is trying to get him to play more through balls um, and not play square so much. And... Yeah, it's kind of a thing where, like, wait, they're allowed to not play square? They're allowed to play one-two combos instead, of just, just, instead, of, of, just, instead of just switching to the fullback yeah. as soon as they get the ball or try, trying to, you know, hit Klamala in the air where he can't win anything? Uh, you know, you can actually do something different once in a while? What a, what a concept. Well, I think what happened was Struber finally got enough uh, XL points in um, the spreadsheet to unlock the DLC for through balls and the columns. So we finally got to that section of the, the Yeah, I mean, you know, like you were saying, Britt, like the get the goal itself, uh, you know, the lead up to it before Morgan's obviously classy finish um, was the closest that we've seen this year to the team just kind of, I mean, not to use a dirty word, but ticky-tocking in the back a little bit, just playing in that kind of wide you know, center line space, just kind of running a rotating triangle for a second. Mm-hmm. And Caceres ends up picking it up and just putting a nice little weighted ball through and Morgan's on the end of it and everything seemed, you know, pretty, you know, common sense football, more yeah. or less. You know, not not adhering to some mechanical, you know, scheme that you have to you know, Rube Goldberg device your way to a goal through. It reminds me of the the goal against Miami too. That was, I think, it was like Edelman, Caceres, but then Tolkien really had that nice layoff to was mm-hmm. it Morgan? Right. That very similar kind of feeling to it of like, oh, they're just playing soccer now. Yeah. I I, f- I feel like th- there's something to this like, oh, um, like the coaching staff or the tactic master tactician on the coaching staff really likes to try to manipulate the the thought of of like whatever's going on here um but even even then it's just like if if we're playing naturally and fast enough it doesn't matter like i feel like all of all the way that we have our build-up is designed to create like an unpredictable overload or some kind of like rhythmic change to offset our opponent but if we just kind of play fluidly and naturally we play fast enough to kind of break those lines anyway right and that's kind of what happened on this and well and what's bizarre about it too is that um and you know maybe maybe to his credit he, you know, he's come to it in a roundabout way, but maybe we are finally reaching the final stage of, of his plan. Of the Struber ball. Or whatever. But, but I mean, seriously, I mean, when, when Ross and I wrote up Struber when he first got hired and looking into his, you know, his work in Europe and his teams in Europe, it seemed like that was the objective. That was how he wanted to play, was sort of mixing, you know, extreme gegenpressing or whatnot. And then kind of playing a little bit more to feet once you get the ball and playing, you know, kind of short combinations and stuff like that. And for the first, you know, 1.5 years of his tenure, I mean, honestly, though, the diamond formation in the early part of last year, you saw some of that. Um, But then, yeah, for the last whatever year or so, I don't know if it's him just deciding... Oh, my players suck, but, uh, you know, 
team has been playing some of the most, you know, rudimentary route one football that you've seen at this club, even in the, you know, energy drink era. And then all of a sudden, yeah, we're turning the switch on again and deciding we can play soccer. The, the boys are finally rewarded with uh, ground passes now that they've played enough good boy ball yeah. across the season. It's... It was achievement hunting. There was an achievement for, for hitting a consecutive amount of triggers without a ground pass. And we, we, we got we it. Got, we yeah. got it. Yeah, but it's like it's so it's so funny that you say that because like I feel like we did that, and I said this before. We did this be- better in the beginning of the season, or like when we just got Lucinius and Morgan and, and stuff like that, and guys are just kind of like playing their way in a way. It almost seems like we're we're systeming out the the idea of, and I've said this before, chemistry, and it seems like the chemistry on this team has gotten worse and over the season it finally seems like it's getting better now that we're playing like balls ahead of guys on the ground um and like i've been yeah like you can ask uh sass uh about this but in from 202 i've been saying that no one can play a, a through ball on this team for the past like two months now. i mean yeah. i was Edel- trying Ed- 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 edelman has been he might have been like good what unlocked catalyst yeah for- this for everyone yeah, for it a little bit, um, whether that was Struber's design or not. Because, I mean, um, it also could just, I mean, Edelman came into the team, um, or, you know, he's been in the team a little bit throughout the year, but started being a regular starter in the last month, more out of um, kind of the mess of injuries and suspensions going on with more senior um, central midfielders. Um, and it's just been kind of a happenstance thing that just his game, which is just pass and move, just, you know, quick one-two touch passing um, and forward passing. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't play a lot of square balls. He, he finds a way to push it forward most of the time. And, yeah, that's just unlocked so many other possibilities for um, the way the team's been able to build up in the last month. So... Um, I mean, it's, it's not like this is some hot take or whatever. I mean, it's become kind of a, um, consensus thing, but I mean, Edelman has been, you know, the MVP as it were for the last month or so since he's come into the team. So, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's funny that you brought up the diamond last year too, cause Edelman would have looked great in that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. also funny that, you know, the diamond did work pretty, like, better better than average mm-hmm. returns i think in the, the brief time that we tried it and it just reminded me last year of the big thing that really annoyed me was that summer slump where we kind of ground through it and really beginning in my opinion was sort of with that cincinnati game where we just like seemed to go out there determined to waste 90 minutes um and just get out of there with a nil no draw at home um and that was also a game where it's like all of a sudden we just were like, yeah, okay, we're, we're not going to pursue that uh, that theory anymore, that, that shape anymore. And then it also meant that we were like playing Fabio was like the number 10 for um, a couple Last few months of the year. Right, which like didn't work. So it, it has been such a... Yeah, it's so funny that our squad's so much better set up for that now. Right. Huh. It has been such a weird combination of being extremely doctrinaire and then also Loki making really big changes and then being like, okay, yeah, we're not going to do the previous thing anymore. And like that, that idea is dead forever or yeah. like it didn't work once. So it'll never work again. Yeah. And then, then, you know, 
it's apropos to remember that this week too because wiki carmona has risen from the dead and he got 20 minutes against montreal i don't remember if he came in against philly uh, I remember nothing about his appearance against Montreal. I, I I don't know, but that was like a ghost from the past. Where uh, again, kind of just you know, maybe there's not really a a super targeted point to this or something that he could have done better. But feels real weird that we gave so many goddamn minutes to Wiki Carmona last year, and it didn't seem to be really pointed at any direction, or didn't seem to really be that successful at achieving any short-term goals last year i don't know it's, it's all kind of just whatever um but hey it is it is legitimately much more exciting that edelman is developing into a good player here and i think what wednesday if, was a good example of that what if we're all getting bamboozled right now everyone and that we're playing this kind of three of the back system but we've been practicing in in the diamond the the four four two diamond this entire time and we come to the playoffs and all of a sudden we'll play four in the back and destroy everyone and that's been the plan all along. Well, we have been playing four in the back the last couple. Of weeks. That's true. We have to. We have been doing that. One, which that can also be pointed at as maybe a a catalyst for the team building up a little better and attacking from the run of play a little better. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it's. It continues to be, I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting, I'm not holding my breath that, you know, this 4-2-3-1 is going to last beyond, you know, this episode, probably. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no way of predicting anything about the way that Struber's going to set his team up. I mean, maybe that's the way he wants it. Seems like it's the way he wants it, but um, definitely makes, you know, kind of orienting yourself in what, yeah, results and starts and what have you mean um over the over the course of the year it's uh you know for for nerdy podcasts like us it's been a very difficult uh tenure to kind of follow the trade winds on as we've said i mean uh, Geary, the wrath of god <laughs> you've unfortunately spoiled the next episode where we issue a correction about the four two three one no longer existing yeah exactly oh you should take that as as implicit in every episode right, yeah. from here on out <laughs> um but hey it was nice to see that you know this 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 club can get good results on the road. I mean, I guess we know that in particular about this season, but like this this club is capable of getting good results and uh, you know keeping it tight, keeping it be organized and and provocative. That's a classic Red Bull way. You know, we're so <laughs> able to do that. Get rid of the pools of blood in your stomach. Um, it's it's also just like I mean not not to beat a dead horse that we've been going at on this show all year, but I mean it's just like uh, bad teams with bad players don't win games on the road as much as this team does. Right. I mean it just it, the, the that is just does not fly with me, and I think in in whether they know it or not, a lot of people that you know just. The idea that the, these players are just bad and need to have their hands held to know how to win a game is just so kind of off base. Mm -hmm. It's just but, a void of context, right? We've said yeah. this before. Like, we said this at the top of the episode. It's just like, in the league, right? 
I mean, look, how are we supposed to win without spending 15 million pounds on I mean, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang? Well, look, if if uh, if our team just spent 225 million pounds on players and fired our coach three weeks into the season, maybe we could have some success. You yeah. Know? Topical, but yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's starting to become a thing too, where it's just like now that it's getting towards the end of the season, you're seeing like you know, national, semi-national people, whatever, posting stuff like, oh. Who's who's your candidates for coach of the year, man? Gerhard Struber's done such an amazing job pushing pulling that horrible, shitty Red Bulls team over the line. Like it's just it's just oh so in line with everybody. It, you can tell it's just people who have not not watched a game. Our fans to are... go back to a theme, and I mean it's just like it's everybody's preconceived notion about Red Bull just being shitty and having shit players all the time. It has nothing to do with any actual accomplishments or right. development that's been brought across this year. I mean, it's just, you know, our fans are being, over. our fans are being gaslit, gatekept and girl bossed. Yeah. I mean, although as we've said in multiple episodes recently, there's reason to doubt Struber's own girl bossing skills at like, it might be, he not, he might not be girl bossing to his own advantage anymore, which is that an inherent part of girl bossing? I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to defer. That's for a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's on the, the, you know, uh, latest member of the 202 EDSS family. What's it called? Cancel me, dad? No, no, that's a different, uh, the... (laughs) Call me daddy? Call me daddy? (laughs) Cancel me daddy is like an ironic one. That one doesn't work, but... (laughs) Going off the rails uh, with our, our podcast references here. I'm going to keep it to Michael and us for the rest of uh, the history. Yeah, our of podcast show. network is not as large as um, uh, EDSS would have you believe. Well, I mean, that's the largest show on earth. Well, so yeah, but it's only they need one. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the, that is, it is so, it is so fucked that <laughs> Gerhard Struber, of all people, ended up being like the dream doom poster manager yeah. that he, the rebel boy number one it became the perfect guy to be like oh yeah this club sucks like never never have had literally have never won had a successful season the club is a failure until it's not like where are the butts in the seats like he does all of it despite mm. being Monashitz's best friend you know who would have thought um so i just uh I just hope it's. I just can't do another year of it. Just get this yeah. guy fucking. I, I don't think anyone wants to do another year. He doesn't seem right? to want it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, but then again, the classic thing is that the team is doing pretty decent, despite you never know it. Listening to Gerhard Struber, but he's doing an okay job. Um, uh, we're, we're 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 fighting for a home playoff game. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, still bringing in some young talent, making, you know, Daniel Edelman looking good week after week. John Tolkien, his career started under Gerard Struber. Kyle Duncan, I guess people like Kyle Duncan and that happened under Gerard Struber. So if you're into that, have a little bit of that. Um, Lewis Morgan has scored what? 15, 16 goals now in the year that happened under Gerhard Struber. But he's lazy. (laughs) Yeah. He, he needed, he needed to be hoisted up and embarrassed in front of a national It was audience. also funny because remember his like welcome video before Gary Struber banned photography for being mm-hmm. anti-Calvinist uh, or whatever, right. you know, <laughs> idolatrous. Um, he was like, they caught him on a mic being like, I'm ready to press. 
to Struber, and Struber, like, awkwardly, like, didn't know what to do with his hands, and he was like, well, this isn't gonna work. I can't, how am I gonna blame you later if you're saying publicly that you're willing to press? It was all there. It was all there in plain sight in front of us. Um, the 45 minutes against Philadelphia, not bad. First 45. Um, we, yeah, it was pretty solid. We couldn't get a goal out of it. We were playing pretty, um... Strong. I think it was nil nil was probably a uh, just result going into the half. Lucinius looked really good in the first half, kind of proof in the pudding of what Struber was saying about how they're trying to adjust his game. Which again, like you wouldn't know it, but Struber is actually doing a good job, and the team plays well. But, yeah, uh, but also like Daniel Edelman, I think continued to show that strong presence in midfield because we were just winning. Every ball in that first half, and then we just kind of decided to stop doing that almost, it felt like, in the yeah. second half. Um, but yeah, we were winning first balls, we were winning second balls, and then we were able to build attacks, and then we were playing balls ahead, and it was it was great. It really seemed, you know, like we kind of maybe um, could have gotten one if, if we had weighted some things a little better, um, and we could have deserved one, but, you know, obviously... <laughs> That's just not how the game continued to go. Yeah, and and this one does hurt. I feel like we've had kind of a back and forth going about, you know, how how much do we actually uh, do we uh, dislike Philly, you know, or like how much of this does it actually hurt? And I'll say this one. I mean, one, it's the first time we've properly lost to them in ninety minutes in a bit. Right. And two, it all it, this one just did hurt a little bit more. I think to just kind of get. Um, this one felt like. We eventually got outclassed by the end of the game by, yeah, by I a think better team. The ability, Philly's ability to kind of just hang in there and then be clinical when they need to be, mm-hmm. reminded me of the Red Bulls of old. Um, and we, I think, reminded me of the Union of old, which is this week that that realization was forced upon me more than it has been before because the vast majority of recent matches against Philly have actually been ninety minute slugfests where it's been a little bit ugly on both sides and we're kind of just bloodying each other up and we walked away you know um feeling that we're still mostly on par but this one made it a little bit more painful to swallow that truth at the moment um but uh maybe maybe it's a harsh reality that the the club or that we need to face in order to to power through it i don't know um i mean it it felt like we needed the, the depth that was injured in that game a little bit too, you know, I, th- I think. But Philly also weren't fully healthy. No, right? I was so going to say, yeah, I mean, they, they, were had, rotating. they had a little bit of a rotated squad, um, which is ironic too, because I mean, it kind of, I put out a little bit of a tweet thread after the game, just sort of, you know, pulse checking the whole, you know, kind of soft rivalry between the two clubs that's developed in recent years and saying, you know, I mean, just, exactly what I felt from what I saw on the field. Um, and, you know, both in this game and the last few games between these two teams and just Philly over the last couple of years is that Philly doesn't have better players than us. I mean, no. you can't, you can't, I mean, they have, they still have like, Alejandro you know, they, still, they still have 43 <laughs> year old Alejandro Bedoya getting significant minutes. I mean, they have, you know, this freaking Ura guy who scored on us. Who's just some, you know, rando Scandinavian guy who's who was one of their big DP signings this year. I mean, they are not, you know, you know, beating us in, in like an arms race. They're not, 
you know, just adding all these weapons constantly. Jim Curtin said, you know, during the week, which I thought, you know, I mean, Jim Curtin says a lot of stuff that makes sense when he's not talking about crowd shit, um, where he said, you know, yes, you know, his team has good players and stuff like that, but he was saying, he was crediting his sports science staff by saying, the fact that we can keep these guys on the field and can keep the same group of guys playing together week in, week out, is what sets its team apart. Um, And it just, you know, struck me as such an important microcosm, but a microcosm of just the general difference between uh, Philly and Red Bulls right now, where they are so much further along on a project that they committed to and a core of players who they've committed to and a coach who they've committed to than the Red Bulls obviously are right now. And some of that is just pure timing. I mean, Philly started their rebuild under Tanner, you know, in 2018. Uh, We didn't, you know, start to adjust with, you know, Thelwell coming in and moving Armas out and everything until 2020. But then also when you look at the state of the Red Bulls right now, it's hard to say that they're still on track to get to where Philly is in a couple years. There's so many more question marks with obviously Struber being the main one. Um, where do we really think that this team is going to continue on this track? Do we really think that, you know, Struber's going to stick around and not? And if he does, he's not going to clear out half of this roster that he puts in the doghouse every other month. Um, just does not seem like, I mean, this, this speaks to even, you know, weeks when we're not playing Philly. Um, we talk about this a lot. It just seems like whatever reassuring plan had been in place over 2020 and 2021 has gone a bit off the rails this year, even as the results have, you know, kept par a little bit. Um, Schneider's introduction last month was a bit reassuring on that end, but that also is a little bit part of, part of why it was reassuring was that it felt like another reset button had been hit and how much longer are we going to have to wait to be behind Philly and actually have a cohesive project in place. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe we have that cohesive project now. And it just needs a little bit of fine tuning, and we'll be all right. And Struber's going to stick around for three more years, and everybody's going to hold hands, and it's going to be great. I am not optimistic that that's going to be the case. Um, so yeah, just sort of a you know state state of the two clubs is pretty clearly in Philadelphia's favor, but it's not for any of the reasons that you know more more drive-by observers would probably give you. I'm yeah. just going to be mostly annoyed at the amount of thinking I would have to do if this trooper ended up being, like, a decades-long, like, club steward here and just, you know, man. San Jose. San Jose. Al- Almeida or Panovich. I mean, yeah. like, are the two kind of uh, prototypes well, for me. I know at least Struber probably slept very well on Saturday because looking at the first goal, you know, where Philly combines neatly and, and but is still very vertical and in, in transition and moving with the field. But then Jack McGlynn looks up 
and he just sees somebody making a run and decides to pass to them on the run just on a whim. And Struber knows that Jim Curtin will obviously bench McGlynn for two weeks now because that's that's not fucking soccer. You don't fucking just like do whatever looks like it makes sense in the moment. You just don't pass the ball to someone making a run towards goal. That's fucking stupid. Go run to the corner and do four little press triggers and then fucking don't look at me for two weeks. <laughs> Disgusting act, to be, if I'm being honest, the, of Jack McGlynn. That's basically cheating. Disgusting. It was cheating. How Unacceptable. Did, the fact that he fucking passed the ball to his own player, who then was, you know, trying to score a goal. That's fucking ridiculous. Well, they should investigate PRO for match fixing. Yeah. Gerhard Struber is... That should have been caught on VAR. Conf- he just thought it was a disgusting, unsporting act for for Philadelphia to try to do that. Um, similarly with, you know, just when, when they, uh, dispossessed or they, they didn't respect Kyle Duncan's decision to play a short ball into traffic and in the middle of the field. And then after recovering the ball, they just fucking kept running and just like immediately shot it. Like, what the fuck is that? Like that, that you, there's like at least eight intermediate steps that were skipped there. Uh, so they forgot um, to pass it out to their wing back and then back to their yeah. keeper and then back to their center back and yeah. then to the other center back before they could start And then the intentionally shooting. lose possession and regain possession and do it twice over before you even think about getting to the final third. Right. And then you play a long and ball the final over. Third, they don't, we, don't, we don't even know what to do in the final third yet because you guys aren't ready for the final third yet. All right? Master the first two thirds of the pitch and then I will deign to teach you about the final well, third. I mean, but what? don't do whatever you assume you should do in the final third or else I'm going to bend well, you. You know the... The documentary film making is very uh, familiar with our, our team. So they've seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi. They know they have to wash the rice for 10 years yes. before they get to handle the fish. Exactly. I mean, I think you guys are overthinking a little bit. I mean, when you look at these two teams and the amount of talent that they brought in, you see one team with just absolute trash USL level strikers. And then you see another team with Corey Burke. Yeah. I mean, how can you even compete? I mean, imagine, like, just even if this squad had somebody as good as, say, Joseph Martinez on the squad, and just, like, let him cook and do his work, yeah. you know? Like, like imagine, like, if Red Bull cared enough to have that. Surely we'd be doing better, right? <laughs> I I will say the, the save that Andre Blake made on us was a very classy save. It was a good save. Yeah. And then I'm not going to... I'm not a really good game. And we, we should have had a goal or two. Yeah. I'm not... You know, I just... I just... It was a good save, but I just wish that on our own home broadcast that our players could be the main characters instead of the opposing <laughs> characters being the main characters. And... This is what happens when there's a man on the tracks for the, the C train and you can't get to the game. You have to go and yeah, watch it. I know. It. I mean, although it's probably, I probably would have been more annoyed if I did go and then watched a half just because I would have probably gotten there for the. Yeah, I don't know. But it's your fault for having a man be on the tracks on the, the A line. It was actually divine intervention, <laughs> a minor divine intervention to keep me from coming to the game. Um. And then, I guess, to end this game, there's the Drew Yearwood incident, which, honestly, I think is pretty boring. Drew kicked the ball in the fans, accidentally hit someone, was immediately remorseful. I think it was a shame that, I mean, like, he went in... It's a shame that he got a yellow card for going into the stands, because, like, yeah, like, that wasn't... But, like, to the point, it's, like, he was clearly remorseful. I don't really have any 
uh, I mean, he wasn't intentionally kicking into the stands either. Right. Like he was trying to kick it's it into like, the. I don't really have just, any. I don't even, I, yeah, I don't even believe in like haggling over it or like that it's something that like says anything about any other event or anything about yes. the culture of the club or Drew Yearwood or anything. I mean, it's just just a really unfortunate thing that nobody set out. I'm ultimately I think it says something about our youth um, when someone has done something wrong and is coming to you remorseful and asking for forgiveness what? oh I'm just saying that you shouldn't have put a scarf on Drew Yearwood oh that was weird that was bizarre and I don't really have any interest in indulging the moment too much because the really thing is that ultimately this kind of thing just kind of I don't find that compelling as a story and the weirdest thing about it is that when something like this happens it bring it just like a certain kind of person gets really obsessed with it and it's like the same kind of energy as people who get really obsessed with like minor like uh like stories of like rudeness or like impropriety on the internet and start foaming at the mouth and it's just a very odd phenomenon and then also like to be like not to say that it's all of it but there's definitely clear like uh, aspect of you looked at like the tweets and stuff where some people are just like professional like like full time weirdo right wing com- like accounts who are making hay out of it and I don't mean like people who are just like also racist but I mean like the accounts where like you go to their profile and like the theme of the account is like I am racist like that was <laughs> like a like a solid chunk of it where it's like yeah th- I'm not in like I'm not gonna indulge this I don't want to indulge this story like it's like a severe like a, a serious thing we have to like hand ring and take ser- like seriously like Drew was obviously remorseful he didn't mean to do it one match suspension is like fine disciplinary player, disciplinary committee agrees obviously wasn't intentional it's fine we move on um, don't doubt for a second never doubted for a second that Drew didn't mean to do that and was remorseful end of if you're obsessed with this internet uh, with this incident I think you're a little weird um, also if you're sitting there aren't you kind of like hoping to get hit by a ball right like in a way it's more of a feature not not a bug i don't we don't even need to get into a debate it's been debated well it's it's not it's It's like you know it's like you're at a baseball game a foul ball comes your way it's a nice thing you know i feel like you can get that fixed for cheaper that or or easier if you really want to get hit in the head with the ball you know like i feel like there's a better way to fix i don't feel like being glib about it or being serious about it i mean it's just not it's, it's not worth it. It's, it's a, yeah, it's really not. So. Uh, but that doesn't mean Drew will be out of the lineup for the next match against New England. Um, so I guess it's going to be probably Edelman. And it sounds like Amaya is going to be out still with recently just closed injury. And then um, that leaves, I think, what, Caceres? as the only healthy option next to him, or is there someone else I'm forgetting? Wiki Carmona, maybe, in a shock return to the midfield. Uh, potential for another interesting lineup. I was going to say telling, but nothing is really telling, is it? Has the son Dom ever played uh, oh, central Jesus midfield? Christ. Don't talk to me about that. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, any expectations... For Saturday against New England, New, Eng- New England's been having a tough time this year. Not going but good, dropping a lot of points from winning positions. They're going to be pretty desperate this game. Yeah, this is basically their 
big crucible for making the playoffs. Oh, we're going to attack the South Ward the first half. I know it. <laughs> it's always in New England. They always do that. Yeah, we just, Bruce knows. We just got to win the coin flip. We just got to have the will to win. Jay Heaps even you. Like, this is a long time New England tradition. Yeah. It's bullshit. We're also down to four four games for the rest of the season. Oof. Um, <laughs> it's been a long one. Yeah. We still have... Yeah, we're we're pretty much we're pretty much hemmed in at third place here. We're basically battling third for NYCFC. So when what's second? Them, we yeah, I was third. gonna say Montreal has fifty two points, has five points up on us with a game in hand. Um, so they would have to lose three of their five remaining games, I think, right? In order for us to, to how many points out are they? Five. Five points out with a game, game, with oh, a game yeah. in hand. Um. Yeah, they would have to drop, I think, three or five or something like it's that. Possible. Something like that. We but, could have you know, started a, a downward spiral for them. Maybe. I mean, are we going to go? I mean, we did have a good run of form before this. So um, with New England City, Columbus, and Charlotte to close the year, it's definitely not impossible. But then again, I, I think it fits our theme still of weird feeling of not having too much to play for i guess we're now in a sort of defensive posture when we're kind of defending third place i still subscribe to it being important to finish higher in the standings in city i like doing that so that will matter to me well i was gonna say i bought city tickets kind of knowing now i feel like that game is going to be consequential yeah yeah i mean because they've they've continued to have really bad form yeah which uh, i just wish we could have contribute to that more but either way i mean how it kind of reminds me though when we're talking about montreal like our one nil win in montreal kind of reminds me maybe how city might have felt after winning one nil at rba where it's like oh lo and behold if you just kind of create chances and turn chances up top if you've got a decent striker up top he'll or or somebody with a decent finish he'll he will convert one and then if you keep it tight and organized you can walk away with a one nil win on, on an away trip. Um, well, I've been on the lot. I feel like I've seen a lot of wins this year only because I've been on a lot of away games uh, f- for this team. Mm. Um, so, you know, hopefully I can add another one but in, at Yankee Stadium. It's yeah. always nice to win there. Do you think, do you, you have a preference or do you have a, a theory or prediction for whether we might see a continuation of four or five at the back? Do you think we might get wide this game against New England? Do we have enough center backs to play five at the back anymore? Oh, I guess like Dylan Nealis and Sean Nealis play two. Yeah, so is Ray's is Ray's gonna be questionable? All right, so I'm assuming no. Yeah. So yeah, let's go two in the back then. Come on, right? It's looked it's looked better at least from the attacking end. It's been a little dicey defending, but if you can get an early goal and control the game a little bit. Um, Four, four in the back, four two three one, has been lending its center to lending itself to better kind of uh, overall play as opposed to hitting certain arbitrary triggers instead of uh, trying to win the game. So um, I prefer the latter strategy. So I think uh, hopefully, yeah, four two three one is I continues think- to be the law. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that as long... Like, the big problem um, 
before, I think we just didn't have a six. And I think Daniel Edelman has really stepped yeah, into Yeah, he really, like, I mean, I've, like I've said in like recent episodes, I mean, he's, he really, uh, so many of our, our other central midfielders, even being quality players, are guys who don't really have a character or a role necessarily. Christian Kasser is being the most extreme example. Um, whereas Edelman, like, you know exactly what you're getting from him. You know exactly, like, how he's going to approach it when he gets the ball and stuff like that. And it just becomes something that makes the rest of the team so much more coherent to have a player like that in central midfield. So No, yeah, exactly. And I just wouldn't want to do that without him either. Right. So, like, if he's playing, let's do the four-two-three-one. But right. if he's not, let's do three in the back, I guess, yeah. is... is what I'm getting at because he really did unlock uh, the ability for us to do that and you know like looking ahead I guess if we are continuing in a, a four in the back system we should probably be looking at bolstering that position in the coming off season right is to look for probably another defensive midfield or something along those lines yeah um, I don't know New England actually beat City 3-0 last week good for them I forgot, you know, just to the point of city. It's a battle of like... Yeah, this is like, uh, it's kind of like a weird inverse of the Philly rivalry where it's always just kind of like a soft thing where it's like, yeah, I guess we're supposed to hate each other, but actually, like, I don't know. It's just sort of like, I don't want to say like respect, but like, we just kind of see, you know, the Revs like the Union as just kind of like a nice little club. I mean, right. it's, it's not even like lads at Tottenham, it's just like, you know... Yeah, they're they're cool. Like it's fine. They've been around. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're they're not yeah pretentious or anything. They're like historic, especially with especially with Bruce at the house. Yeah, maybe they're a bit West Ham vibes. Like to the to the degree they have history, it's like so long ago and clearly not really relevant. Well, I was gonna like, say like Aston Villa or something. Yeah, but um, <laughs> their wide threats are uh, Tommy McNamara and a guy named Noel Buck, seventeen years old. So I'm not too worried about um, kind of getting have, having trouble from the width of the field against them. I mean, Heel and Bo, I think, have had a much more quiet year this year. They're one year older both, but I think they are still the most dangerous players for them. So I think if we can get Long and Nealis kind of just working as a pairing in the center of the field with um, some combination of Edelman and presumably Costas in front of them, I feel like that would go longest way towards controlling this match. It was it was a weird game against them earlier in the year that feels like six years ago now, yeah. um, based on both time and the way Red Bulls play now. Ashley Fletcher sparking the own goal. Remember him? Whoa. Um, yeah. Um, but it was a game where uh, New England hadn't necessarily started toppling over at that point yet. Mm-hmm. And we're still perceived, and they hadn't even sold some of their big players like Buxa and stuff yet um, at that point of the year and still felt like a pretty big team. And it was sort of, it felt like kind of like a Philly game to go back to what we were saying earlier in the episode where it was just kind of a tightly fought uh, game of both teams just sort of respecting each other and sussing it out. Whereas this game could be much more of a wild card based on how both teams' seasons have played out since. Um, so I think right this match is all going to depend on they're not going to do a hotel this time right because it didn't work last time yeah Yeah. so you know like it's post Labor Day the shore houses are going to get cheaper maybe they get an Airbnb out in like Asbury Park and then they take a 
NJ Transit all the way up for the game, you know? Maybe that'll oh, okay. uh, get us in the mood. Yeah, I was going to say they, they get stuck in traffic for, for hours, but NJ Transit is probably safer move for that. You know, AJ Delagarza is still on the squad next to, of course, Omar Gonzalez mm. and Emma Boateng. Bruce Loki has gotten his guys back yeah. like, from like that last LA now, Galaxy. Now there, there's a guy who knows how to talk to his sporting director. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Bruce Arena's team is like remember an MLS dudes. Do you remember? Do you know what? They, I'm like surprised Nick Ramondo isn't. Do you know that what team. the AJ and AJ De La Garza stands for? Thanks to Foot Mob, I now know. Is it just AJ? Is his name just Adge? No, it, that that's a good guess though. It's Adolf Joseph De La Garza. <laughs> Good God! And Tilagarza is uh, has he's, no spaces. He's he's, he's Guamean, isn't he? Like, yeah, I don't know the full story of that. That band. seems like he's a kind country. of thing where where like people in Guam name their kids like you know people in Brazil like, yeah. <laughs> like Benito Benito Mussolini. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, Earl Edwards Jr. of course is their backup quarterback, who oh, I expect will be you know off to race at Nashua right afterwards. <laughs> so. Uh, and or maybe we'll even do like a halftime like a demolition derby. Maybe they have some. Uh, they have some hot shit new Serbian keeper. I guess. Oh yeah, Jordi Petrovic. Yeah. Where's number ninety nine? Mm. Ouch. You know, I will say to the city of Harrison, if they wanted to host a monster truck rally at RBA, I'd, I'd go to that event. I I was surprised how small you can actually like of arena you can do that in. Apparently, they do it in MSG, which shocked me. Wow. I went to a monster truck show when I was a little kid, and it was in an arena. Yeah. yeah. So they so. could surely do one at RBA. If you're listening to this, Mark, like post-show or monster truck show, Red I'm Bull. Sure the field will be it. fine. It'll be yeah, exactly. <laughs> Andrew Farrell was their starting center back last week. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just like. Hey, he was their starting center back when they won the goddamn Shield last year. So That's it makes true. it makes. It makes no sense, but Bruce is the mad scientist. So. Yeah. Matt Polster. Now, that's a name you could hang your hat on. Mm. Um, anything else about this New England game? I, I think we should all expect a win at this point. I mean, yeah. well, yeah, but at the, I mean, like the home, what is the home for? Right. right now? I mean, like, it's at this point after, I mean, in the last month, what, lost to Philly and Orlando at home, losing a game like this would feel like, and I mean, again, it's just, it's part of this paradox of this whole season where like on paper it's been fine but when you're actually watching it play out you get much less assured and i mean racking up three home losses in a month it's just like what the fuck is going on which, yeah. which what how many away home wins do we have three total mm-hmm. or like yeah we would literally be first in the league if it was only road games and second to last in the league if it was only on jesus wait, wait there's a worse home record than that uh it's like it's like dc or something like that. <laughs> Who we drew at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typically. It all makes sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm assuming, I mean, I don't know. Klimala probably won't play if he's listed as questionable. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see Alias again. During the match, I, I, the New England match, I commented in the group chat, like, I don't know, he seems fine, but I don't know. We had a Philly match. Philly match, yeah. It, 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 I don't know if I am seeing enough that will make them... Uh, want to yeah. sign him up and most people actually disagreed with me said that he looked really good i think maybe my comment was more just cynicism about <laughs> our Struber's ability to just admit he likes a player i would <laughs> but, say that manuel looked his age 
But he's getting into good positions. He doesn't really quite have that composure yet. Mm. Um, but he's, he's quick. Yeah, he's he's, he's quick he's as fast. hell and strong. But yeah, like not. You can tell that he's kind of new to playing strikes. Yeah, as um, as Ross Haley's really excellent breakdown of him last month kind of laid out. So. But he's still making like intuitive runs for for an attacker, so that's mm-hmm. a good sign. Um, but now that you've said. That Clemal is questionable. I retract everything I said about formation. We're going to play a four-four-two diamond with Manuel and Clemala up top. I mean, how I, I can't rule it out. Can't rule it out. Um, although I don't, we don't really have the shuttlers right now to do it, right? Because because with Drew suspended, that would require that would require putting Caden Clark on the field. Oh shit. I mean, he has looked he got, he good. Got like 40, he got 35 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. there's no reason for him not to like play at this Is point. Is there a reason for anything? <laughs> okay. Let me stop you there. <laughs> okay. There's there's so many reasons that there <laughs> are none. <laughs> uh, anything else? on that note. <laughs> yeah, till then. Yeah.